Welcome to the Center for New American Security's National Security Startups podcast series, hosted by Senior Fellow and Director of the Technology and National Security Program, Ben Fitzgerald. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the CNAS National Security Startups podcast. We are here today with Jackie Space from BMNT Partners. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. So Jackie has a fantastic perspective that she can provide here. She is, uh, in addition to being a partner at BMNT, she's also the founder or co-founder at BMNT Capital. She's a former officer with the United States Air Force uh, and is also a visiting fellow at National Defense University's Center for Technology and National Security Policy and is also um, on the board of Savonics, uh, a, a biomedical startup. Um, I don't see how you have any spare time at all in addition to doing all those things, Jackie, but thank you for taking the time to join <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. So let's just get straight into things. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about BMT, who you guys are, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, so we are a three-year-old company uh, based in Silicon Valley. Uh, we started by uh, people who are the founders who all had extensive military backgrounds um, who wanted to continue service to their country. And uh, now we've grown to about 25 people, and we have um, a pretty interesting group uh, of folks that work for us that come from really diverse backgrounds uh, that all have an interest in national security, but also, um, I think, uh, have uh, just diversity and uh, interesting perspectives to bring to the problems that we're working on. And so we're here to basically solve national security problems at Silicon Valley speed. So I, I think I have to ask then, understanding that 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 general problem, what's the specific problem that BMT was sort of founded to solve? Sure. Um, so we saw a problem on both sides of um, government and private industry, and in, you know wanting to work together, um, but really unable to sort of align the priorities uh, and timing, and even the language and how they communicated with each other. And so, you know, on the one side, and just drawing from my uh, background in defense acquisitions, um, I saw a lot of uh, tech and programs that were being developed and funded that were not necessarily had an application or a problem that they were solving and weren't useful to uh, potentially the users that, that needed to use it. Uh, and at the same time, you know, with the rise of all the innovation that's coming out of private industry, um, we saw... Uh, really, uh, you know, interesting and good tech that was that was on the private side uh, that, you know, they wanted to be able to sell to the government or saw a solution that it could be applied to and couldn't align uh, the cycles in terms of how they could work together. And so, and also, you know, I saw a lot from the government side, just this frenzy of just wanting to fund tech uh, for the sake of funding tech and not really, again, thinking through the whole strategy of, you know, who's picking it up, who's using it. What's the transition pathway? You know, all this sort of pre-requirement stuff that, that needed to occur that we felt, you know, wasn't happening. And so that's where I, uh, BMT was created to basically align the problems that, you know, were emerging in the battlefield uh, to the emerging innovation and, and sort of maximize the efficiency and availability of the just enormous resources and uh, talent that this country has uh, to solving national security problems. So that's, that's, that's quite compelling. I have to ask uh, a particular question, um, and as a defense nerd, I know the answer, but what yeah. does BMNT actually stand <laughs> for? No, I get this question a lot, and uh, yes, it, it's not just um, a random acronym. It, it stands for uh, Begin Morning Nautical Twilight, and basically the term is, is an old uh, military um, strategist term uh, used for military planning, 
I think it dates back to the French and Indian War, and uh, it, it describes a time when uh, the sun is below uh, the horizon at an incidence, I think, of 12 degrees, and yet you can still uh, you can start to make out the shadows and light on the ground. And the term was used for a time when it was sort of the greatest threat to opposing size, but also the best time to attack. And so we thought it was sort of apropos to what we were seeing on the, the you know, this tech landscape of a lot of great promise, but also, you know, a lot of vulnerabilities in the international security system. I like it. So uh, given that problem and, and the, the, the group of folks that you've brought together, how are you, how are you going about fulfilling the mission that you've set for yourselves? Yeah, you know, we came to Silicon Valley because we felt it was a good place uh, to start to find uh, talented people and uh, business methods that we could apply back to our knowledge of how the government works in terms of, you know, with uh, on the technology and, and on the battlefield side. And honestly, after after mucking around the valley for uh, for the first year and trying to figure out our, our way around, we initially started by consulting with startups uh, who wanted to work with government and. Uh, while that helped uh, us to learn a lot about the startup culture and what their pain points were and, and how the Valley operated, uh, we still weren't fundamentally addressing the problem of how to align the, the two um, sectors better. And so we quickly realized uh, that there needed to be this you know, better framework and methodology for how that engagement worked. Part of this was coming out of the fact that, you know, we could show the government, you know, people on the government side, some of the best and newest and most amazing technology, but it didn't matter if, right. if it wasn't, you know, aligned to the government bicycles, it wasn't aligned to the requirements uh, process, if, if, you know, there wasn't that sort of pre-planning work that had to be done in order to, to ingest something like that to, to solve a problem. So, so we adjusted out of that sort of business model and we combined what Peter Newell had developed when he was at the Army's Rapid Equipping Force. And we knew that that model worked in the government in terms of uh, being able to take uh, the solutioneering teams directly out into the field mm-hmm. and, and sourcing problems directly from the battlefield. And so he had proven that model out uh, over three years. You know, he had built this ecosystem of people, not just from the Silicon Valley, but uh, from all over you know, the United States and, and people that were working on these uh, amazing, you know, life-saving solutions. And he also was able to do it in a way that he, um, you know, was executing, I think, like a billion and a half dollars on a $300 million budget, meaning that he was bringing all kinds of mission partners, uh, you know, to to this type of work. So we took that model uh, of problem sourcing. And then at the same time, you know, being in the Valley, we ran into uh, uh, Steve Blank and the work he was doing when the Lean Startup movement and and teaching lean startup at Stanford. And we found that his model actually worked quite well with what Pete had been doing, you know, in the army in the sense that, you know, with a startup, uh, you have to go through this, you know, there is no business plan and there's a whole bunch of unknowns set in front of you. And so uh, lean startup really teaches you or really teaches startup founders how to basically take a set of unknowns and turn them into knowns through, you know, very early hypothesis testing and a lot of customer validation and bring, you know, uh, basically getting out of the building uh, to go validate your set of assumptions. And so basically we, co- we combined the two models and, and, and came up with, you know, hacking for defense, uh, which is a way that we basically... Uh, source problems uh, from the government. Uh, we uh, build a network of people and entities around the problem. And then we really start dissecting uh, the problem through what we call the mission model canvas, which is adapted from Lean Startup's business model canvas. And 
Uh, we start finding the stakeholders and users of the system and understanding their value proposition. And so all of this is really pre-requirements work. So we have a, a, a really good set of validated assumptions uh, around a particular solution to hand back, you know, and the government works with us on this, to hand back when they start writing those requirements. And by the time they're able to release an RFI or an RFP, they're, they're in line with industry and they're in line with, with what their users want. So that, that's a fascinating set of, of, of sort of offerings. Um, I'd be interested if you could talk a little bit about how, how your business model works. It sounds from what you've talked, to, talked through that you have clients on the government side and also clients on the private sector side. Just be interested in how that works uh, in terms of from two perspectives. One, that how that makes the solution set you just talked about work, and then also sort of how you run BMNT to be able to, 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 to cover those different clients. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, from a, from a business model perspective, I mean, we truly uh, look at ourselves as, um, you know, problem-solving or- organization, you know, the harder the better. Um, through H4D, it's enabled us from, from a business model perspective to have a sort of systematic uh, way that we engage. And so through that, we're able to plan uh, strategically, you know, how those engagements work. You know, we have a very uh, sort of defined uh, set of steps that we go through with our clients on the government side um, that helps us to work with uh, our industry partners so that they know what's coming, uh, they know when uh, they're invited to the table. You know, one of the problems that we found uh, working with industry and, and, and getting them to come to the table is that a lot of it was just miscommunication. You know, they mm. wouldn't understand the strategy of what the government side was doing or the timeline or, uh, you know, the intent of the engagement. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time doing that translation. Uh, and I think we're different in a business model than other companies in that we aren't selling solutions that we've developed in-house. Mm-hmm. So we, we know that we're not the smartest people in the room. Right. Um, I'm definitely not. <laughs> so uh, we, you know, we, we like to, I mean, part of the model enables us to basically access some of the best and brightest talent, you know, in the world to come look at these problems. And, and so through that, uh, you know, we really are just looking for the best solutions. Um, and it's a validation behind that that we're interested in. So that's really how we operate. Mm. Um, like, again, you know, we're not selling prototypes or products. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so you're a startup that helps startups and you have a model for helping people build models and solutions yeah. to build solutions. It's a little meta. It's totally meta. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very, yeah. It's, it's very 2016. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, given the... Given the space that you operate in, which which is developing, and there's a lot of miscommunication and all those sorts of challenges yeah. in there, I'd just be interested in in the core challenges you guys face, sort of growing the business and and also scaling your impact. Given the the, the objective seems to really be about impact as much as business size. Yeah, it's it's really challenging. Uh, I think when you're doing something different, especially as a young business, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a challenging. Uh, prospect. I mean, you know, one is, is sort of selling that this works. And the way that we've gone about doing that is, you know, we've really focused on getting uh, tactical wins. Uh, so not necessarily coming in at the enterprise level yet and saying, hey, we're going to change your whole organization and your whole organization has become innovative. Uh, what we've focused on is, is you know, more um, hard problems that, you know, people at, say, you know, our clients, so we, we, you know, we work with a lot of different agencies, but, you know, hard problems that basically can get a, uh, a win in the next year or so. And, you know, with a small group of people and growing that out. So as we, you know, 
now after three years, I can say we've got some really good wins behind us and uh, satisfied clients uh, that this model works. And so now we're looking at more of the strategic level of expanding, you know, into more of the enterprise level type organizations and not just in the government. We're getting a lot of interest from um, uh, other ways that this could be used. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we've been approached uh, for like city planning type uh, activities. So hacking for urban resiliency or um, uh, we just did a, a space study with uh, with Christopher Zember at, at CTNSP. Uh, looking at, you know, how government looks at, you know, emerging commercial space. And so, you know, and, and we've been approached by other big corporations and how they do innovative uh, uh, transformation. So we're starting to look at that scaling and what that means to us. But, uh, you know, starting a company is hard. I, I think now the level that we're at, uh, going from 25 people to, uh, you know, say then, you know, 50 people is almost just as challenging, I think. I'd be interested in your take um, on the on the sort of common challenges or, or, or recurring themes you see in terms of uh, issues between startups and DoD, just being able to collaborate and do business. Sure. So, I think from a the term startup has you know a lot of meaning behind it. Um, yeah. You know, there is so many different levels of startups, and mm -hmm. uh, we've worked uh, with startups from concept, you know, through their fundraising. And we've worked with companies, you know, that are much more mature, and yet they're still in Silicon Valley. Um, so not necessarily a startup, but they still have something to offer, mm -hmm. uh, offer to a, a solution. And so, as far as you know, so the so the question is advice on the collaboration or advice on just for companies that we're seeing, and just the challenges that yeah. that, that sort of come up. I mean, so you, you'd mentioned earlier, which I thought was a great point, just communication. Yeah. Uh, and then and then buying cycles, all those kind of so things. So the challenges between both entities. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what are the barriers? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it really is, uh, it really comes down to uh, communication. For, it was what I'm seeing. Um, a lot of the, the debate about how to do this right is centered on acquisition reform. Mm -hmm. And I wholeheartedly agree that we do need reform. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not holding my breath for it. Right, you could be holding your breath for 30 right, years. We've right. been waiting at least that long, yeah. yeah. So we really, you know, we really had to, in order to make this work, we had to figure out, you know, what's working, what can we do today with the resources we have available today. Yeah. And a lot of it comes down to um, just the way that uh, the engagement occurs. So I think, you know, from the military and the intelligence community side, they've never been asked to become venture capital capitalist, right, right? Right. And it's sort of unfair to say, okay, now you have to sort of act like one and, you know, without any, you know, it's not part of their main job jar, mm -hmm. potentially, uh, and it's just not the culture that they, you know, grew up in. And so uh, what I find really fascinating in a sense is that the two communities actually are not that far apart in the sense that, you know, a venture capital firm, you know, might look at, uh, 2,000 companies and fund eight. Yeah. And the government, uh, when they're, you know, tech scouting, has a lower track record or the same. You know, it, it, they're pretty much on par with the amount of stuff that they look at in terms of what they end up funding. Yeah. Um, but I think the difference in why the government sort of gets this sometimes bad reputation about that is because uh, it, it's the way that they do it. So, um, you know, instead of, you know, I think in a VC firm, 
they know their space really well that they're investing in. Mm -hmm. uh, they spend a lot of time uh, meeting with companies and founders and entrepreneurs and really learning about what's what's in the space. And then when they do take meetings, you know, it it is hard to raise money and it's hard to get venture capital money, but. Uh, you know, at least there's a feedback mechanism in place. Right. And, and at least when you walk into a VC firm, you know what their strategy is, you know what their portfolio is like, you know what their targets are. You know, they have all that out there. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's something that on the government side we could improve in terms of, you know, in, instead of showing up to a meeting and just saying, okay, show me what you got, you yep. know, back to the private company, uh, actually explaining, you know, why are you there? What's your strategy? What are the problems you're dealing with? What's your funding timeline? Um, you know, just basic uh, questions like that, having a more uh, a back and forth dialogue. Uh, I remember when I first uh, started working with uh, Dr. Malia Sharvat, who's a CEO of Savonics, mm -hmm. and I met her when we were uh, when she was at Concept Stage, and we went through a million and a half dollar raise together. I was one of her first investors, and then now we're going through another raise. Mm -hmm. um, but when she first started, I mean, it was just her. Yeah. And uh, and she has this amazing uh, technology that IP that's come out of Stanford uh, that is a uh, basically a cognitive uh, assessment tool in digital mm -hmm. health. And uh, we're getting a lot of traction in the pharma and healthcare industry. But there was interest from on the government side. And so they were asking her to come show up to conferences and come, you know, talk about it. Yeah. So I said, great, you know, I want to go with you. Let's go see what this is about. And they kept calling her and wanting to show up at these things. And finally, when I asked the guy, I said, well, what's your, like, why are you talking to her? And, like, what's your strategy? And he said, oh, well, we want to go palm for this. Yeah. You know, put in a palm cycle, which is, like, in the next three to five years yep. uh, for and this type of technology. And I'm like, you know, she is not at the level right now where she can be dealing with something like that. And just for our readers who haven't had to suffer through the yeah. uh, budgeting cycle, uh, the, the, what is the palm cycle? Uh, so it's a... Program objective memorandum. Yes, I believe so. Yes, <laughs> I'm putting me on the spot. Sorry, uh, but I used to I used to actually contribute to writing those when I was in the Air Force, and uh, yeah, it, I mean it, it's, it's a multi-year funding cycle. So yeah. so so if so so she had would potentially not be even close to funding for three years. Yeah, and then if it came through, she would have multiple years of funding, but she may not be in business in three years. Right, and it's great. You know, yes, it's a great potential. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where I think the term startup. Uh, gets almost um, overused or, or isn't defined accurately because there's a big yeah. difference between a startup as a concept and a startup that maybe has gone through one raise, yeah. you know, or several yeah. raises because those startups can actually handle some of that type of um, government engagement. But the very early ones, uh, that's, you know, it, it's almost impossible at that point to, to really go spend time uh, if you want to have a business in the next year. Yeah, uh, working with the government, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So then, the, the the flip side to that question, in terms of the challenges you see, is what's the what's the advice that you provide to the startups you work with? Obviously, there's not just one thing that you say, but in terms of again general themes, what are the core pieces of advice that you would give to someone listening to this podcast, for example, if they were running a startup focused on national security? I think anybody who's running a startup knows that it's it's very hard soul-searching work yeah. <laughs> um, yes. it's not for the faint of heart and and you know that's why a lot of startups fail I mean it's mm -hmm. very uh, difficult to grow a business that your customers like have the strategy and also at the same time operate a company that you know can grow to scale and when you're doing it you don't have uh, everything is unknown you really don't have uh, you know 
true direction. Uh, you don't have infrastructure behind you that can support some of the things you need to do. So I think the, the best piece of advice for me that I'm learning and that, that I have seen work well uh, for the CEOs and people I've worked with is having trusted advisors around you that have gone through an aspect of what you're dealing with mm -hmm. and you know that their advice is good, Yeah. but they also will tell you things that are honest mm -hmm. and it can be really hard to the ego. Yeah. Um, and so you have to be able to, to, to deal with that and, and it's hard. Um, and, and those people, you know, the good ones, the good advisors don't come, won't talk to you when you first start, right? Because you have to get yourself established a little bit and prove that you're serious and, and really keep showing up every day and working through it. And, and then, you know, slowly, I think you'll start to attract people around you that you can trust to do that. But it, it's very challenging. And it's, it's especially for, the, I think, the single founders, it's very, it's a lonely, can be a lonely experience. Yeah, and also I think, uh, I'm sure this is true in, in lots of domains, but I think very true in the national security space. Once you have that business that is is starting to be successful, mm -hmm. every bad advisor in the city wants to come out and, and, and get on retainer to, totally. to, to, to offer you advice. Totally. So, so telling the difference between a good advisor and, and someone who's just going to take your money can be challenging as well. Some of our, I mean, I think some of the best people we've worked with as from advisor perspectives are ones that you can tell truly believe in what we're doing. Yeah. And they're not looking for money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they really just have this belief in, in, in wanting to help us. And you see, that's the one thing I, I really do appreciate about the Silicon Valley uh, is that because of the culture of startups and the fact that it's very hard and, and you know, the, the failures that occur can be very big and, and painful, that there is this sort of camaraderie of right. wanting to help each other out in some yeah. way because, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it can be a tough, lonely business. In, in that in that sort of broader Silicon Valley context, I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts on DoD's current Silicon Valley and and startup focus. Noting the 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 points you made validly about what do we mean by startup, has the DoD got its goals right? Um, is is it headed in the right direction? Whether that's from the secretary's perspective, from a DIUX perspective, just in general, would be very interested in your thoughts. So DIUX is a client of ours. Mm -hmm. um, I am a believer in what they're doing. Um, I think, you know, just like any government program that starts, um, it takes time. Mm -hmm. um, I've never seen a government program stand up quickly. I don't think EQTEL did. They, they didn't have their budget in place for a while. Right. Uh, in terms of, you know, what they're doing right, what I really appreciate um, about the model is, is that government and, and military is looking at how do we work better with private industry, right? Before it was well, we've got Incutel, and Incutel does is investing, you know, for uh, emerging startups, and that's great. And there's definitely, I think they serve a great role for that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a lot of companies and a lot of tech and innovation that's happening outside of the Incutel model that doesn't mm -hmm. fit in that model. Yes. And so then we go back to talking about well, how do we develop those uh, relationships, the strategy? the things that are needed in order for us to do this right, we need something in place that is on the ground and um, enables that conversation. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I think the term, whoever came up with the term matchmaker mm -hmm. did a big disservice. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I, I don't think that was the right term. Um, I, I think that, uh, that um, now from what I'm seeing, and I know Raj Shah was on here um, talking about what they're doing, 
I, I think they've really got it right in terms of how they're framing the engagement yeah. now. Yes. Um, and uh, particularly, I mean, and I'll, I mean, it's a plug for ourselves, but on the problem sourcing side is where we're working with DAVX is the problem sourcing and translation. Um, but the other thing that I think is, is uh, encouraging is the fact that, you know, Raj and his team, you know, they all have extensive uh, private industry experience. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of relationships in place. They understand the pain points and and how to frame this in a way that that it makes sense. Mm. And so, um, do you think that that on the Silicon Valley side of things, or on the startup side of things, that there's been a, a reasonable response? Do you think the Valley is getting its head together and sort of starting to understand uh, some of the opportunities associated with collaborating with with, with Yeah, you know, uh, that's an interesting point. I mean. Um, I've heard, you know, obviously grumblings from both communities, D.C. and yep. Silicon Valley. Yep. Um, and, but the one area, and, and, and I would say it's not even for DIYX, but what we've seen a lot um, that I think is really encouraging, and I think DIYX is going to benefit from, is that uh, in the Valley, uh, there is this appetite to uh, work on uh, world-changing right. things, right? right? And so... Uh, you know, there's this sort of fatigue with, you know, working on the next uh, one-hour delivery app versus, oh, hey, uh, you know, there's uh, soldiers in the field who, who, you know, you could save their lives, you know, with this thing. Or, uh, there, you know, there's major implications here from a nuclear security perspective. I mean, yeah. just the problems that we've brought into um, the Valley, we've gotten this amazing response from people excited to work on that stuff. Yeah. Uh, for instance, like we just had... Um, an H4D sprint where we were working with a, an agency and we brought in uh, designers from San Francisco uh, and uh, like digital designers, mm-hmm. right, to, to be able to help them put their models together. And, and you know, they were actually staying later than the government people because they thought it was really cool, the stuff that they were working on, yeah. uh, you know, versus it was either that or like the next Angry Birds 7. Right. So, so I right, feel right, like, right, right. you know, there is an appetite there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, do companies get annoyed when, you know, they, or people get annoyed there when they feel like nothing's happening? Yeah, but I also know a lot of companies that, that have welcomed the engagement because they are welcoming discussion and the type mm-hmm. of stuff that's coming into the Valley. So yeah. I think the Valley actually has a lot to gain by having um, some of the, the problems that DC looks at uh, uh, in the system there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in closing, then, Jackie, I'd just be interested. Wh- where do you see this relationship going over the next few years? Um, and and feel free to give both an optimistic and a pessimistic um, response, unless you have just you naturally go one way. Well, I think naturally, I'm going to be an idealist, just because mm-hmm. you know I've put my company on this. <laughs> right, right. You, <laughs> so, you, you need so, to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do think uh, so. So one of the things that I think is really encouraging is just the amount of dialogue that's occurring over this, mm-hmm. which uh, creates a lot of I think, interesting discussion as well as transparency. And you see both sides. So it's not just a Silicon Valley thing. I mean, we're seeing a lot of uh, interest. And it's not just a Pentagon thing. I mean, we're seeing you mm-hmm, know people right. from all over uh, government offices uh, that are wanting to work on, on this type of engagement. And not just with Silicon Valley, but with you know all the other innovation centers in the United States. That's right. And so for me, I think this is proving a model out. Yep. Uh, and if we can do it in the valley, where you know you've got some of the, you know, some of the brightest people and some of the most the fastest emerging tech, 
I think we can do that in any of the other places as well where you've got just as bright people and just as interesting tech. Um, so, I mean, I, I really hope that this is something that will continue. Um, I, I think one of the things that, you know, through all this debate is hopefully that there's more of an understanding between uh, what drives Washington, D.C. and what drives Silicon Valley. Right. I think the two communities don't talk as well as they should, and mm -hmm. there's not enough people that can go back and forth. And so, uh, so we're I really, you know, I think as we grow those types of, of people that are looking at national security as uh, as a um, as something that's interesting to work on, uh, then that dialogue will continue. Um, you know, one of the most encouraging th things that we've seen also is as uh, hacking for defense uh, now in the university system. Mm. Um, the fact that you've got uh, students. So we started this at Stanford. Um, and I was, on, I was on the original teaching team there with Steve Blank and mm -hmm. Peter Knoll and, and Joe Felter. But it, it was really amazing to see that uh, the level of passion and uh, dedication that went into uh, the work that these students were doing. And, you know, I kind of was skeptical about, like, well, you know, we first started, like, how, you know, are these students really going to want to do this? Are they going to want to work on these, these types of problems? How much time are they going to put, put into this? And we found the opposite response. I mean, they found mm -hmm. that working on real-world problems that they could actually have a real impact um, was very encouraging. And uh, when you think about that, that, there's this now a whole other ecosystem of people that would have never worked on or thought about national security stuff. Yeah, um, that's that's really exciting to me. I think from a, from idealism perspective, I think it's going to continue to get better. Well, it's always nice in this line of work to be able to end on a positive note. That tends not to be the case. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that, that, that optimistic um, outlook to the whole thing and for sharing your expertise with our listeners. Um, one more thing. Actually, we're sure. talking about hacking for defense on the university yeah. side. I don't yeah. mean to, to do one more plug, but yeah. um, and as, as far as from the government side, the uh, National Defense University's Center for Technology and National Security Policy, Christopher Zember, yeah. and his group out of there um, at the MD5 National Security Te Technology Accelerator, they've been huge promoters of Hacking for Defense yeah. and our original sponsors for that. And um, we see a lot of what they're doing in D.C. And, and the people that they're engaging with that do sort of understand how it works in Silicon Valley and, then, and vice versa. So it, anyway, going back to that uh, discussion about how is this going to be in the next four years. We just think that it's going to continue to to get better. So no, I, I agree. I think that there there are lots of folks inside government increasingly who who, who get it, and it's reassuring yeah. to see places like um, CTNSP at NDU sort of bridging that gap, especially oh, I, at the working level in very practical. It's ways. fantastic. I worked with Christopher back when he was director at the um, the Information Analysis Centers, and he was uh, he grew uh, what they were doing there. Um, to be a very practical and useful mechanism for contracts. And so when I was working a lot of the rapid technology stuff, I mean, they were such a resource. So he really gets, you know, um, that engagement from a, from a tactical and from a strategic level. So he's been one of our original partners. And it's just, it is great to find people like that in D.C. who are working, you know, to, to better that engagement. That's right. People in the Pentagon uh, and the broad Department of Defense actually care about this they stuff. They do. And there, yeah, is an yeah. there is an ability to execute. <laughs> so again, another another positive point. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, Jackie. absolutely. To hear more from the National Security Startup Series, go to startups.cnas.org or search for CNAS on iTunes or SoundCloud.